Hi friends, my name is Andy, my pronouns are he and him, and welcome to the Hope Collective Church podcast. Here at Hope Collective Church, our mission is to develop inclusive communities where people discover sacred worth and calling. And our four core values are empathy, inclusion, trust, and humility. This week, we're continuing our new series called Gifts That Keep On Giving, where we're focusing on discovering and accepting the gifts that God offers us. Today's gift is the gift of kingdom. So without further ado, here's John. Hey friends, my name is John Morgan. My pronouns are he and him. Welcome to Hope Collective Church. Uh, I always just uh, want to give thanks because you have found us online again. It's quite an honor uh, that you join us each and every week. Oh, before I uh, go into today's uh, sermon, I, I just want to also thank the folks who showed up for the Martin Luther King Jr. March this past Monday. Uh, it was a great day to march in solidarity with our community partners. And if I'm completely honest, I just love any chance that we have uh, as a church to hang out together. And I don't know about you, but when we uh, get together for any any reason, it's, it's really good for my soul. So uh, thank you all. Well, we're midway in this series called Gifts That Keep On Giving, and we're focusing on discovering and accepting the gifts that God has given us. Well, over the last several weeks, we've heard about John the Baptist preparing the way for Jesus and, and baptizing Jesus. And after that, Jesus went into the wilderness where he experienced temptation. After 40 days, he came back and stayed in a small town called Capernaum, which is on the northern coast of the Sea of Galilee. We remember that uh, John the Baptist proclaimed, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus had heard that John was put into prison, so, so guess what message he continued to preach? <laughs> Matthew 4.17 says, From that time, Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Well, before we jump into the, the heart of today's message, we are reminded about the studies we, we've already done on this word, the, the first word in Jesus' sermon, repent. If you want to hear those sermons in their entirety, you can go back to the sermons on Facebook and YouTube that took place on June 12th and December 4th of last year. But basically, I like to use for repentance the illustration with water. Let's say that I was thirsty, but my cup was empty. And you have a pitcher of water and you want to pour water into my glass. What would you tell me if I extended that glass to you upside down um, and wanted water to be filled in it? Well, you would tell me what? To turn, to turn that cup right side up so that you can fill it. And this is what repentance is all about. It's turning our lives in a way that we can be totally filled up by God. Now, what, what do we need to do to turn our lives to receive God's will for us? What, what do we need to do uh, to, to go ahead and turn it and receive the fullness of God's blessing? This is repentance. This is what repentance is all about, right? Uh, when, whenever, listen to this, whenever we do not open our lives to the will of God, whenever we close ourselves to God's blessings, right? When, when we position ourselves to not receive what God has to offer us, we call that sin. 
And a lot of times our view of sin is so much narrower because somewhere along the way, the church has limited sin to a long list of things people shouldn't do. Because it's easier to check that the, the boxes on the list we've created and keep track of who's sinning and who's not sinning. But we've heard John the Baptist and now Jesus say, repent, open your lives up uh, to God's will and receive the fullness of God's blessing. But here's where it gets tricky. Let's go back to that glass being turned upside down. Let's say you're trying to, to turn that glass right side up so that you can receive the water, but someone is holding it so that, so that you can't turn it. They're, they aren't letting you turn it. Who's to blame? Well, the person who's preventing the, the glass from turning, right? The same is true when people in power prevent others from fully receiving God's will for their lives. <laughs> and too often, it's the church who regulates God's love and God's grace and God's blessing so that people on the margins aren't able to fully open up their lives to receive God's will. This is why Jesus came, right? We read in John 10, 10, I came so that they would have life and have it abundantly. See, Jesus didn't come so that people would stop cussing. Did you, did you know that? Jesus didn't come so that people can check all those right boxes. He came, as we read in Luke chapter 4, to proclaim good news to the poor and to set the oppressed free. His work was a work of justice, and the people he confronted were the religious leaders who were keeping others from receiving the fullness of God. But even today, even today, the church is still trying to regulate the will of God. We see it related to race, and we see it related to gender and related to sexuality, and the church is calling the wrong people sinners. It's the religious, powerful, and privileged who are holding people down like this glass and not allowing them to receive the fullness of God. And I truly believe that we are in a time when the church needs to repent. This week, someone described the United Methodist Church as entering into a Reformation period, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to claim that statement. It's time to confess where we've caused harm and embrace the work of justice for all people. It's time to repent and open up to God's will for the church. <laughs> I'll be honest. It wasn't my intent to go down this path today. <laughs> you can look at my preaching schedule as proof. Uh, this message wasn't planned. Um, the same scripture, <laughs> just a different topic. And while I was writing, I kept asking God, why are these the words you've placed on my heart? And I just kept hearing uh, these words will be spoken at the right place, at the right time, for the right people. So you're getting the unplanned today, my raw thoughts and feelings. <laughs> I didn't have time to smooth the rough edges or soften the blow at all, so maybe that's a good thing. I don't know. Here, I'll tell you what, next week I'll preach about tulips and puppy dogs to, e to even it all out, all right? <laughs> Well, where, where are we anyway? <laughs> We're reading Matthew 4.17. I think I've only gotten to one, one word of Jesus' uh, sermon. We're not going to get much past that anyway. <laughs> 
But remember, uh, verse four or chapter four, verse seventeen says, "From that time, Jesus began to preach and say, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand.' What images come to your mind when you think about the word kingdom? Not in a religious sense, but in an everyday life sense. Who do you see? What does a kingdom look like? What type of societal structure is in place? If you're like me, the word kingdom, it makes me think of a king. It's in the, it's in the name, right? <laughs> a powerful ruler. He's wearing a crown and a robe, maybe sitting on a throne. Uh, I see pictures of a, of a castle. <laughs> I think of a, a caste society where the people on, on top own everything and the people on the bottom are in service to those on the top. Maybe you have uh, different thoughts that come to your mind. And if we're honest, it's difficult not to allow uh, religion and faith to impact our thoughts, even just a little bit. There, there are many kings that we read about in the Bible, and I, I don't even know how many kings are listed in the books of, uh, of Kings and Chronicles. <laughs> Maybe the most famous in the Old Testament is King David who we tend to over-glorify and, and we tend to overlook his abuse of power. <laughs> there are kings in the New Testament as well. We know King Herod, uh, King Agrippa. Uh, but when we read the English translation of the Bible, we are introduced to a different kind of kingdom in the New Testament. <laughs> the kingdom that was first introduced by John the Baptist when he proclaimed the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What pictures come to mind when you hear that phrase? The kingdom of heaven, or later on the kingdom of God. What does that look like on earth? <laughs> well, the word kingdom, as it as we see it in the original language in Matthew 4, 17, is the Greek word basilia, which translates to kingdom or reign. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Or repent, for the reign of heaven is at hand. Even this word reign brings a deeper understanding, right? It brings a sense of, of governance. And Jesus is saying that way we govern in heaven is at hand right now on earth. He's setting up the difference between the way things are governed in heaven and the way things are governed on earth. And to describe uh, by using an English word uh, what that means is nearly impossible because our minds are already tainted by what a kingdom is all about. The basilia of heaven, the reign of heaven, the way we govern in heaven is here right now. Basilia, which is often translated in English as kingdom, is actually written in a feminine form. <laughs> the Greek language, like many other languages, has the ability to designate words to be male or female or even gender neutral. And this just got me thinking about how this word kingdom, <laughs> with, the, with the word king as its first syllable in a literal translation, is all about feminine governance. <laughs> Do you see the irony here? At least as it relates to my own thoughts about what a kingdom is all about. 
feminine governance. So when John the Baptist and Jesus used uh, the word basilia, they chose this word basilia, it was not an idea that, that represents male dominance. And we can't get this by reading just the English translation, can we? People often ask me, why do we always look at the Greek? It's because uh, we, we haven't learned how to study the Bible yet. And then we use our limited understanding of the English translation to abuse people on the margins of the faith community. Like we said last week, when we get curious about what the scripture is really saying, then we have a deeper understanding of who God is and what God is up to. So when John the Baptist and Jesus proclaimed the Basilia of heaven is at hand, it was more of this inclusivity and had nothing to do with male dominance. But that's not how the Christian church has been operating, right? The idea of kingdom has been abused. We've set up a patriarchal structures and say they reflect the kingdom of God, but these structures have allowed the people in power to make theological decisions that keep other people from having power or from even being included. These structures dictate who's in and who's out, who can receive the fullness of God and who can't. But the life of Jesus was never about asserting power over anyone. In fact, Jesus was about taking power away from the oppressor and bringing into the fold the people who were once on the outside. <laughs> In her book, Muharista Theology, Ada Maria Asasi Diaz talks about the patriarchal structure that keeps the religious elite in power and in control, and it's actually disguised by the word love. Here's what she wrote. The way the gospel message to love our neighbor as we love ourselves has, has been interpreted up to now leads the believer to the practice of charity. But this interpretation does not help uh, oppose oppression. It is not an effective means to bring about radical structural change in society as we become aware of the alienation that oppression induces we come to understand that love of neighbor is linked intrinsically and foremost to justice. In order for a person to become fully human, to overcome sin, to move from alienation to a love relationship with God and with others, justice has to prevail. Whew. Man, and this is what Jesus was talking about when he started preaching and said, Repent. For the Basilia of heaven is at hand. He wasn't preaching about the structure of power. He was preaching about the deconstruction of power and the work of justice for the liberation of the oppressed. That's why many Christians and theologians have used this word kingdom as a translation for the Greek word Basilia. You've heard me use this word quite a bit and maybe you wondered why. <laughs> Kingdom better represents in the English language how Jesus operated. The tearing down of the power structure, the inclusivity of the people on the outside, the representation of heaven's governance that includes all genders. In the inclusive Bible translation, we read Matthew 4, 17 like this. It says, from that time on, Jesus began proclaiming the message 
Change your hearts and minds, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This word kingdom, at least in the English language and understanding of the word, better describes the true meaning of what Jesus was preaching. Again, Ada Maria Isasi Diaz's book, which, by the way, was written in 1996, so this isn't a new thought, <laughs> maybe new to us now. Uh, she helps us understand why we would use the word kingdom instead of kingdom. She says, there are two reasons for not using the regular word employed by the English Bible's kingdom. First, it is obviously a sexist word that presumes that God is male. Second, the concept concept of kingdom in our world today is both hierarchical and elitist. The word kingdom makes it clear that when the fullness of God becomes a day-to-day -day reality in the world at large, we will all be sisters and brothers kin to each other. We will indeed be the family of God. And I already know, I just know that some of my critics are going to come after me this week and say, but you can't just change the words and scriptures that have been there for century. And my first response to them is, why the hell not? <laughs> right? Because the same critics aren't protesting that in 1946, the word homosexual was added to the scripture and drastically changed the meaning of the text, right? <laughs> But my second response to the critics is that the word kingdom is actually a more accurate translation than kingdom. Because kingdom reflects the heart of what Jesus was preaching in the life that Jesus lived. This is why kingdom is such a gift. It re represents heaven on earth. Where we are all one worshiping God together where we are all connected together, depending on one another, encouraging one another to turn towards the will of God to receive all the fullness that God has to offer. Oh, if you call it kingdom or kingdom, wherever you land today, the question is still the same. How will you live into it this week? How will you bring the Basilia of heaven closer to the people around you? How will we as Hope Collective Church live out uh, the Basilia life together? How will this impact the community around us? I know some people are on board with the word kingdom. Some aren't there yet. Some of you are thinking that Pastor John has totally lost his mind. <laughs> some are curious, what's next? If it, helps, if it helps at all, I'm learning as we grow together just as much as everyone else is learning. <laughs> well, as we close our, our, our message time together this morning, I want to invite all of us to say the Lord's Prayer together. If you feel comfortable in doing so, try using the word kingdom. And, and while we pray, let us consider what we are really asking for when we pray, thy kingdom come on earth <laughs> as it is in heaven. We'll leave all the other words the same right now as uh, tradition has taught us. And if you're, if you're not comfortable with it yet, I still invite you to pray along with us using the words that, that you're used to. 
I'm not gonna be the kingdom police, all right? <laughs> We're all in this together. No one's excluded. We're all connected to each other. So let us pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We hope that this week's sermon has been a blessing to you and an encouragement to you as well. You can find us on Facebook or YouTube by searching Hope Collective Church for weekly online services and other ways to connect with us. Be sure to subscribe and share this podcast. And again, thank you so much for listening. And remember these three words, you are loved. Have a great week, everyone. Amen.